All right, it's Jerry Mace, the Kickin' Lawyer, and we have another law talk for you guys. I'm excited about my guest today. Uh, I sort of looked up to him as I've gotten to know his background, but before we get going, don't forget, as always, to like, follow, and subscribe to the content. We're available on all social media platforms as well as podcast platforms uh, and YouTube, so please check us out. Uh, we are on TikTok. Again, uh, lots of good legal tidbits as well as Josh doing all the dances on TikTok, all so it's a lot of fun. And then uh, if you haven't already, please download Inside My Head. It's an album that's available on all, wherever you listen to music, from N.A. The Band. Local guys have a vested interest in them and uh, want them to succeed, so please check them out. Michelle Allen is a longtime sponsor of the show, and she's your go-to in the area if you're going to buy, sell, rent, lease real estate. She's also on different boards in the community, just generally good person, so check her out. Mason's High Team Martial Arts has been in Covington for 30 years, and we just opened a Millington location. Uh, so now you can check us out two places. Just visit masonsmartialarts.com. we got some Christmas specials going on. And then a new business I'm starting, hopefully in the next two weeks, is Jam Books and Records. Um, we will have new and used books and records and a lot of cool stuff in there. We're literally working on the build-out of that right now. And then last, last but not least, if you need help with your social media marketing, email, website design, drone footage, wedding photos, whatever, Josh will help you at masonitemarketing.com. So check him out. So joining me today as a guest is, it's you were Master Chief, right? I know you're not using the titles and stuff now, but you were Master Chief, right? That's correct. Chris Dietschy, so thank you for coming on. Thank you. How you go? How you doing? Fantastic. So so little background, the first time that I met Chris, I was at a, um, a, a board of, of roughing, it wasn't really a, a board meeting, it was more like trying to get people in the community to come help the roughing, the, the board, uh, and he was in there. And I was there because, and I want to say it was during the Rocky play we were doing. I don't remember one of the years. But but what I was focused on at the time is my son, Alex, had just uh, uh, finished. He was in like, I don't know, six, eight months into the Navy and uh, just gotten through. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. He, he was just done with the one program he was in and was kind of figuring out where he was mm-hmm. going to end up. And so I, I said something about that because there were some other veterans in there. And as I ran out the, the, the door, uh, Chris followed com- me. It was at Comic-Con. No, I think the first time, though, was before that. that. It was was at the the library. Yes. Yeah, we were in the library meeting. Anyway, I ran out. You come up, and uh, you had a tap card and everything. It was super high energy, and I was like, and of course, I didn't know anything about the Navy structure or how any of this works, but I was like, anybody trying to help would be great. But then come to find out, he's like one of the highest-ranking enlisted guys uh, in the Navy, which was – you were very humble for the fact that you – you know, we're in such a good position, but, but I do appreciate the help that you did there with them and, and all the service that you did for so long for us. So we just had veterans day and, you know, I didn't have the honor of serving, but I have tons of respect for the people that do. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background, Chris, like where are you from? Obviously I just mentioned Navy stuff. What you up to? Uh, I was born in New York, uh, moved out to Long Island when I was one. Uh, then we moved to Connecticut, uh, when we were, when I was four, uh, grew up in Connecticut until I was 17, joined the Navy, uh, and never looked back. Been uh, d- was in the Navy for 34 years. Uh, got a chance to be stationed everywhere in the United States and overseas. Uh, married the love of my life. We have two awesome daughters. And uh, we retired in June, and we determined that Tipton County was the only place we wanted to live. We've lived all over the place, and this is where good people are and where we want it to be. So this is our forever home in Tipton County. Great. Well, and I, I love hearing that because I was born and raised here, right? And I've gotten to travel some with the martial arts side, but I'm from and 
born and raised here. So I, I like when people come and see value in our community. But what specifically is it that drew you to this area versus all the other places you could settle? Well, before we lived in, uh, in Atoka, we lived in Washington, D.C. Uh, it would take me about 25 minutes in the morning to get to work uh, at about 530 in the morning. And it would take me about 90 minutes to get home in the evening. Uh, same distance, same highways. Uh, and then moving back here, uh, there was one traffic light and one stop sign between my home and my office on the base. And that made it very easy. Mm. Uh, not only that, but the people here are so much more friendlier and outgoing. When you live in a major city, uh, a lot of the time, uh, in my experience, you know, you don't get that, hey, how are you today? Or, oh, you're Dawn's husband, which I seem to get everywhere I go. Uh, or, you know, there, there's a lot more. It's more personal here. Mm. And I like that kind of environment. Uh, I like to talk to people. I get to know. I like to get to know other folks. Um, and you get that here. You don't always see that in major cities just because of the sheer population. It's almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah. People, I think, kind of stay in their bubbles there. And I think people here are more open to, well, it's sort of the Southern hospitality thing, too. I 100%. think there's some truth to that. Uh, when I was on the U.S. Taekwondo team, I got to go around and uh, it was so funny. I would get comments on my accent a lot of times, you know, and people were, you know, relatively nice just about everywhere that we went. But there was definitely a different feel from being like in the South versus, you know, some other areas in the United States. It's funny when you mention uh, accent. So I don't believe I have an accent. I get accused of talking too fast. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're around my wife, uh, she still has a very New England accent. Mm -hmm. And so that amazes, she's a school teacher. And so that the kids love hearing her talk. And people, when they see us together, like, well, why don't you have an accent? I, no particular reason why. I just seem to be uh, lost my any accent I had from New England. But, yeah, it, it, the, the whole, you know, the southern uh, hospitality, I believe, is a real thing. Uh, you can just, everywhere you go here, uh, you know, specifically here in Tipton County, uh, when we're working at the Ruffin or we're walking around Covington Square, you just people are friendlier. Mm -hmm. And, and they're, hey, how are you today? Uh, and you don't see that very often. If someone talks to you in a major city, if you're in Washington, D.C., and someone comes up and talks to you, you look at them like they got three eyes and, yeah. you know, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't feel that way here. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of the community, I know you've been doing a lot to, to help since you guys have been here. I've witnessed firsthand the assistance you guys have given to the Ruffin Theater that I've always been a big supporter of, was on the board, and now you, I think you're still on the board, right? Yes. And then you're now on the Industrial, Deve uh, Industrial Development Board, is yes. that right? Is it the Southern End one? Is it Atoka's? Yes, it's the Industrial Development Board for Atoka. For Atoka, yeah, because I think there's one up here too. Yes. Um, so what is, I guess, tell me, because of all the boards in the area, um, fortunate or unfortunately I've been on, I, I haven't been on the Industrial Development Board. So so what's the... So the purpose of the Industrial Development... Of the purpose of the Industrial Development Board is to look for uh, the opportunity to bring businesses, connect businesses in with Atoka, uh, and bring in that tax revenue into the city. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's always a little bit of hesitation. Well, we don't want to modernize. We don't want to, you know, grow our small town too much. But with the benefit of having the Industrial Development Board and going out and finding these small businesses and, and companies to come in is that generates tax revenue where you don't have to increase property taxes. You actually just get the tax revenue from sales. Uh, and so we're, we're thinking wisely. We're looking and going cautiously, uh, looking for the right businesses to fit into Atoka, and then we present that to the mayor. 
uh, and the uh, Board of Aldermen for approval. And then we would go ahead and bring more businesses in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I ran for Alderman a few years ago in Covington. And I made several mistakes. And one of the mistakes is, uh, this is what I was about to say sounds bad, but uh, I'm very authentic. Um, but that's a good and a bad thing because sometimes people like me a lot or they don't like me a lot because mm -hmm. it just is what it is. And sure. I don't change it based on the narrative or politics or anything. But what I, one of the platforms that I was focused on in the Covington area, because this is where I'm born and raised and live, and you know most of my business interest is here, although I have expanded into other areas, is I wanted to grow the depot district down here and create what's called a TIF district. Well, when I say it was sort of a mistake is I was very vocal on it and I had a full plan to show how it wasn't going to cost any additional tax revenue, but how it was going to pay for itself and generate jobs and growth and money. The sure. problem, what I underestimated is what you just mentioned. There are some people that are just adamantly against growth. And here's my response to that. Here's what I don't think they understand. You are going to get growth one way or the other. You're either going to get positive growth or what I call negative growth, which means you'll get not not knocking the businesses that do it, but liquor stores, check cash in places, things like that, versus you know uh, quality new businesses that are coming in and sort of increase the property values and everything else of the area. Sure. So especially with Blue Oval City in this area, there's going to be growth, and you've got to decide which way, which kind of growth you want to come to your community. So. For people, and I get it. I mean, I like the small town vibe too. But you know, Covington is probably double the size it was when I was a child, population wise. And I still feel like I know everybody. You know, I still feel like it, it, we're very open and welcoming to most people. I think, and uh, I don't think it's. I think it is. I think you make make of it what what you can make it positive or negative. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you talk about growth. Well, there are other things out there like growth that we need. We need more schools. We need, uh, you know, updated fire trucks. We need, you know, whatever new purchases the city needs and, and upkeeping in parks that cost money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, do we need, you know, do we need another school? Do we, you know, those are all conversations that we could have in Atoka. Uh, and that's all got to get paid for somehow. Do we need to pay our teachers more? I believe we do. Uh, you know, that all costs money. And so there's ways to, to increase uh, the coffers. And one way is through uh, property taxes. Nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but sales tax, uh, you look at the sales tax revenues that Millington is going through right now, and they're, they're, it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Their Industrial Development Board has done an amazing job revitalizing that strip of 51. I recall uh, when we first came here in 2002, uh, you know, it was it was Walmart and that was it. Yeah. And if uh, Walmart didn't have it, you didn't need it. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you and have a nice day. Uh, and now look at all the amazing new uh, restaurants and shopping opportunities that are coming into Millington uh, and the tax revenue for that. And yeah. that's going to only help the city of Millington. We want the we want to make sure we're supporting uh, the good men and women of Tipton County and Atoka. So yeah, Millington was the, uh, a model that I went off of because they started that one shopping center as a TIF district, which is where it basically the, the business is motivated to come into that area because they get incremental tax breaks for coming into the area. So eventually you're getting the sales tax revenue and the property taxes off the business, but they do get incentive to come into that community. And uh, I, again, I, I think it's great. It worked great down there, um, the people that have helped with that. Now, Atoka's also had some pretty impressive growth. I remember I started as a deputy here in 02, 2002. So 20, was that 21 years ago? And when I started, Atoka was just starting to get a few subdivisions. Like 
Um, when I was a child in the '80s, Atoka was a not a, it was a traffic stop. Like it was just a, a red light. That's it. You had Crosstown, and Munford actually had more of the growth. Munford was the big high school. Munford was where all the growth looked like it went. And then all of a sudden, uh, over the decade that I was a deputy, I saw this huge growth, residential growth uh, specifically in Atoka. Now, what do you think that's, a, and this is more of probably a guess than anything, what do you think the, the reason so many people have come to Atoka, so many residents now live in Atoka? Well, we, for one, uh, the school, uh, the Atoka Elementary School is an amazing school. There's some incredible teachers there. Uh, Atoka has re- recently built a ton of houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sterling Ridge area and all that uh, property back in there has been developed. Um, property taxes are low. Uh, crime is low. Uh, we've got a great mayor. Uh, I think that you know people people look and they say, well, let's look for the good places around here to live. And you know, not to to besmirch anybody, but do I want to drive to every day to Bartlett? Do I want to drive? You know, there are some longer drives. If you take a look in Atoka, a large number of folks who are in Atoka are driving to the Navy base. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 15 minutes. Uh, so it's not long of a drive. Uh, it's a good, affordable ho- places to buy houses. They're well built. And your neighbors are good people. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's a no-brainer. That's what drew us to Atoka. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, we rented a, a house site on scene in Atoka. And then uh, the folks we were renting from said that they wanted their house back okay. And so we, we decided to stay in Atoka because we just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, good people up there. There's, you know, they've got a Kroger. I don't want to sound like Millington and O2, but, you know, we've got a Kroger, so there's a grocery store there. And, and you know, that's, if you need anything more, then you can go, you're literally halfway between Covington and Millington. Mm-hmm. So uh, is it, it's, why, why Atoka? It's just a good place. There's good people. It's there. also not Shelby County. <laughs> Yes, well, it's just on the other yeah, side. I didn't there. say that, but yeah, it yeah, is not yeah. Shelby County. I think that's a, a part of it too. Is people like to get out of Shelby County, but if they're working there, that makes sense that they go back and forth. Um, Millington again. When did you come through Millington the first time? Two thousand two. Okay, okay. So when I was a child in the eighties, Millington was bumping. It was huge Navy base yep. at the time, active. And now I don't know. I know. I guess you would. You can educate me more on what it was then versus now, because I I think now it's more admin, still big now, but it was shut down. And I vividly remember that as a kid because Millington was this bustling Navy town. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the Navy was gone. And then it was like a ghost town. And then Millington really dipped. And so they've done a great job, uh, 2000 plus, especially when the Navy base sort of, you know, kicked back up there. So the Millington base used to be an aviation training command. Okay. Uh, and the Navy then moved all, everybody down to Pensacola, all the aviation training down to Pensacola. And you're right. And then there was a period of time where Millington was kind of standing around like, well, what do we do? Uh, Brack came along and uh, then Vice President uh, Gore, um, who was from the great state of Tennessee, uh, brought up the, uh, there was a, uh, uh, there's a, a law out there that Millington will always have a base, I, I believe is the, the story I've heard. Anyway, long story short, then they started moving Navy Personnel Command where we do all of the orders and human resources aspect of the Navy. Uh, recruiting came here, uh, and now you've got uh, Navy Manpower and Analysis here. Uh, so basically all your human resources functions, pay and personnel, all happen in Millington uh, as, as the hub. and. Um, you know, the base is growing. It, it's got uh, probably in the neighborhood of four to 5,000 people on it now uh, working there. 
uh, every day during COVID, maintained the uh, their operations. I don't want to speak for them anymore. I'm not part of the Navy anymore, but uh, they did absolutely incredible during uh, COVID and continued the mission every day of getting orders and getting people paid on time um, and, uh, you know, continues to thrive today. Yeah. Yeah. So my son, it, it, this is an interesting little note. And again, you were like up here and, you know, he's a peon down here. But his observation was this. He's been in San Diego most of the time. He's in mm-hmm. Chicago some, San Diego. They, they shipped him to Florida for a few months for some, some kind of training. Mm-hmm. And then now he's at, they're at, they're underway. So mm-hmm. he's uh, been underway for a couple of months on the Carl Vinson. Anyway, he told me that one of the visits he came back, one of the first observations he's had is when people found out he was from Tennessee, people that had never been to Tennessee knew Millington. Like all the Navy people knew Millington because all the orders come out and it literally has Millington on it. That's correct. And he thought that was uh, so cool because he grew up in Mill, you know, in the area. We would go to Millington and he never, never thought really anything of it. And that it's kind of special for the Navy at least. What's fun is uh, when you talk to people and you say, "Oh, where you're you're in the Navy? Uh, yes, I am. And well, where are you stationed? Uh, Millington, Tennessee. Millington. Where's Millington? Uh, just north of Memphis. Memphis." What are you doing there? There's yeah. no ocean there. Are you yeah. on the Mississippi River? No, it's where human resources is. Uh, it, it's always fun to evoke that reaction from uh, people when you tell them that. They always give you a very strange and long look like Memphis. Yeah, Memphis. Yeah. Now, clearly you drank the Kool-Aid on the Navy. I did. <laughs> yeah. So why? What was the big draw for you for so long to stay in it? Okay. Well, this is a fun story. Um I don't know if, uh, you know, recruiting definitely wants me to tell the story exactly the way it is, but I will. Um, When I was in high school, I was not a great student. Uh, I was somewhat of a troublemaker, Uh, although my mother was my homeroom teacher for four years and my math teacher for three. uh, I was still a bit of a troublemaker in high school. And uh, one day, uh, December 1988, uh, I went and saw a recruiter, didn't tell anybody in my family. Uh, I just went and saw an army recruiter and didn't didn't particularly like, you know, the the army attitude when they can. You're just kind of, I don't know, indifferent. Uh, and then uh, I walked on my way out. I stopped in and saw the Navy guys and they looked like they were having a good time in there. They were laughing and joking. So I poked my head in and I said, well, hey, uh, tell me a little bit more about the Navy. And uh, before I knew it, I was taking the ASVAB and, and going down for a physical and then uh, bringing paper home to my parents assigned to release me into the Navy. Uh, the long story short, why did I join the Navy? To annoy my parents. <laughs> okay. um, both my parents are ac- academics. My, uh, my mother was a, a high school and college professor. Uh, my father is a very well-educated man. My sister went off to college, and I was kind of the, the black sheep of the family. So I said, ha, I'll, fi- I'll fix all of you, and I joined the Navy. Uh, 34 years later, uh, I'm not sure who got the last laugh on that one, but uh, I, uh, I absolutely loved it. It was where I fit in. Uh, I sure I probably could have gone to college and probably would have done fair, maybe a C student if I was lucky. Uh, but the Navy fit me. Uh, I enjoyed the structure. I enjoyed the direction. I enjoyed uh, the travel. I enjoyed uh, the excitement of being in the military. Uh, got to go. I've been all around the world. I've seen some amazing things. I've seen some some not so amazing things. But I've at the common factor is along the whole way is I got to work with amazing people. Um, the, the men and women who are in the military, uh, sometimes I think, uh, depending on where you go, people don't always hold them in the highest regards. Like, oh, the military is great as long as it's not my son or daughter. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, the men and women who are in the Navy, no matter what pay grade, no matter if they're officer enlisted, are some of the most incredible people who are walking this planet every day. Well, <coughs> 
they're clearly making sacrifice. And I think that, you know, one thing about being an American is we have rights that other people don't. Now, there are some countries that at least mimic us or some people will try to say or are freer or greater, but I just don't believe that. Like, I've been around the block, and I think that we're very blessed here. And the, the reason I bring that up is people can hold views, even negative of the military, but the military is the reason they're able to hold those views, is is our public servants and the people that are protecting us. That's exactly right. Uh, but it's funny you said that about, um, I struggled. I've always been pro-military, pro, I was a cop, you know, so it's a very similar world. I was pro all that stuff. But mm-hmm. then when my son wanted to go in, I struggled. I'm not going to lie because as a cop, I never wanted them to be cops because of the things I saw. I didn't want my children to see, Mm -hmm. you know, and and what bothered me specifically with Alex because of what he was trying to become, I had never done that. I, I I hadn't had the experience of going overseas and being on a special team and and being at such risk like that. And I really struggled with the unknown evil he would maybe see sure and you know i knew the evil i saw domestically and i could only imagine the evil that he might see and as his father especially my whole life i've been a daddy my adult life i was a daddy at 18 so 18 now i've been a daddy and i'm just now getting to the phase where my children are becoming adults so i'm really struggling personally with how the transition is what am i if i'm not you know if that's not my purpose but i'm just saying that you mentioned that i remember going through the well, it's great. The military is awesome unless it's my son, you know, sure. <laughs> but but I'm very proud of him. You know, he's working. He's doing a great job. He's he, he's already won a couple of the awards they had there. Uh, he fits in with them well, and he's he's le- a leader among some of them there. And uh, I'm very proud of him. And I think I do think it's a great experience for young men and women. Because especially if you're, and you're right, some people, you know, I think we've made a mistake, uh, this is a little side note, but I think we've made a mistake as a society the last 20, 30 years, Similar, similarly the way we've made a mistake with education for maybe the last hundred, where our schools are set up to produce factory workers and not necessarily independent thinkers, and I think the last 20, 30 years we're trying to push people into a college to go into debt, and that may not be the best route for them or the only route. So... I'm very, I'm very honored as a to be a father of a service person, and um, you know, so far he's had a great experience with it, and um, you know, I wish other parents would be more open to that. I, but I do understand the struggle. I think I struggled with it more because of being a cop and the things I'd seen, and then the unknown of of what you guys might see. Like you mentioned, you've seen great things, but I'm sure also not so great things, mm-hmm. uh, and that changes you. So just as a father, I really struggled with that part. So I, and I totally understand that. And as a father of two daughters, uh, you know, if my daughters came home and said, Hey dad, I'm joining the Navy. I would take a deep breath and I would say, okay. Uh, and you know, you want to be able to protect your kids and, mm-hmm. and they go over the horizon, literally mm-hmm. go over the horizon. Yeah. Um, and you can't take care of them all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my daughter goes off to, uh, went off to college and I felt the same exact way. Um, now, now compile that to, I'm going to go on a U.S. warship and and defend freedom and democracy around the world and there's a potential that something bad could happen mm-hmm. um of course that's a natural concern uh but i, I think the thing that you know and you just you've seen it now with your son uh it, it builds resilience uh sometimes we have to let our kids fail sometimes we have to let them scrape their knee uh, so they can go ahead and understand that okay it's okay to scrape my knee i can get back up and keep moving mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's something that the military teaches our our, our, our men and women our sons and daughters, is that uh, it teaches us that resilience. Uh, you're going to fail in life. Um, and, and maybe 
too often we try to protect our kids. I know I, as a father, I'm guilty of that. I do everything in my power to protect my daughters from failing. Uh, but sometimes it's okay to let them fail. In the military, uh, there's highs and lows. And uh, I'll tell you, the, you know, the, the first time your son was away from home and realized, wow, I'm, I'm all the way out in California by myself, it's probably a lonely feeling. Yeah. Uh, but then when you realize, hey, I've got family out here. There's, there's a bunch of other men and women who are here with me who are family, and we're all in the same boat together, literally, um, that you get that feeling of togetherness. And that's when you really start to enjoy your time in the military. And that's what I loved about the military, mm -hmm. was that no matter where I went, uh, whether it was on a ship, whether it was uh, one year I was going to school in uh, a small town in Italy called Latina, south of Rome, and uh, a whole bunch of the U.S. military folks were there. We all got together for at Thanksgiving to one of our teachers' house. Uh, it, it's always that sense of family, no matter where you go, that someone is always going to be there to help you out. Yeah. So speaking of the travels and stuff you had, when I was on the, the Taekwondo team, I was the first year I traveled, I'd never been anywhere, really. And I went to uh, South Korea the first time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the next year I went to South Korea and China. The next year I went to North Korea. And so I'm just a good old country boy, and then I'm going to these, these uh, to me, was exotic locales. And especially when you get away from the metropolitan areas, you really see the, the country and the people. And uh, it was such an eye-opener for me. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cultural differences in the way they do things. And it was great because, again, I think some of it uh, drove home how special it is to live in the U.S. Like there's literally a feeling, if you travel to certain countries, like when I was in North Korea, you feel oppressed. Like, there is a feeling of being free. Like, there is, I think. And when I was in North Korea, I had had never experienced not having that feeling. And I could tell. It's just weird. It's, it's I would say I've never been to jail and hopefully won't be. But uh, I would think that it was similar to that feeling of there was a clear oppression. Sure. So my question is, in your travels, and it didn't have to be, uh, again, like a freedom issue, but what was something really unique you remember that was sort of a culture shock for you? Uh, you know, it's funny you say you've been to Korea, South Korea. That was where I was uh, two years ago. I was stationed there for a couple of years. And, and uh, one of the things that stood out to me over there uh, was uh, the sense of being safe. Uh, so, um, but this, it comes, safety comes with a cost. So uh, everywhere you went, pretty much you were covered with camera coverage. Mm -hmm. Someone was always watching, uh, which... I'm not going to get into the, the legal argument of personal privacy, but I could tell you that I, I felt safe in South Korea that my, and I felt safe for my sailors uh, because I knew that there was always a camera and the chances of something bad happening were slim. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, split it to another side of it. Uh, I was in Singapore a couple of times in my career. And of course, there's the famous story of the uh, young man who was chewing gum on a subway who got caned because he was chewing gum in public. Uh, things like that mm. uh, that you just take for granted uh, here that you can do and the personal freedoms you have here uh, you don't have in every country. Um, you talked about it earlier where people have the right to have their own opinion because of the freedoms we give them. Now, those opinions can be pretty horrific and pretty uh, inflammatory towards our government and towards our uh, people who are protecting us, whether they're the police or the military, the fire department or anyone else. Uh, you don't have those options in a lot of countries. Yeah. Um, you know, you go to uh, uh, some countries and to this day, it's illegal to be a homosexual. Mm -hmm. 
that seems to be, you know, could you imagine if we made that illegal here in the United States? Um, but it's perfectly accepted in some countries uh, in the world that it is illegal and you will go to jail and you will get in a lot of trouble for that kind of stuff. Uh, it'd be the equivalent of watching, we were watching TV recently uh, and uh, The Birdcage was on, uh, which is the Rob Williams, Nathan Lane movie. Yeah. And uh, they were trying to hide that they were gay. And my daughter and I were watching the movie and she looks at me, she goes, Dad, how old is this movie? I said, uh, I think uh, late 80s, early 90s. She goes, could you imagine that playing today? It's so common now. But back to your original question, uh, that's one of the, th the freedoms we have here uh, and the freedoms to think what we want and say what we want and feel how we want. Uh, a lot of countries don't have that. And people who very often, oh, United States is terrible. Well, have they had the opportunity to go overseas and experience where if you speak out against the government, you're going to go to jail and you're going to do hard time and it won't be fun. Yeah. Probably not. Or it's a nation like Iran where uh, if you're a woman, you're, you're not a person. You know what exactly. I mean? And uh, they, they you know, have the religious courts where they still can stone them and things for things that here are we're equal and you have freedoms. Exactly. Uh, that That's the part that dumbfounds me. My, my brother and I, Josh, and our other brother, Justin, um, Justin less so, but more Josh and I, we'll occasionally try to have a somewhat intellectual conversation, although it does devolve into sort of a... Uh, like 1980s action hero male <laughs> view on things. But one thing that I've been talking with uh, some buddies of mine, including Josh recently, and you don't have to comment on this necessarily if you don't want to, because I can see it's somewhat controversial. But I, one thing I struggle with, I'm very, I'm a libertarian. So I'm very supportive of everyone's individual liberties and mm -hmm. their freedoms to be, do what they want to do. Absolutely. I don't use marijuana, never have. If it was legal in Tennessee, I still wouldn't. I'm going to Colorado this weekend. My wife and I are going just for a trip together. Uh, we were going to see Aerosmith. They canceled it. We decided to go anyway. So we're going, they canceled the tour because he's got a, some kind of vocal injury. Anyway, so, so we're going to go and Madeline was looking at the stuff to do and everything's like cannabis friendly, cannabis mm -hmm. friendly. My point though is I support your right to be able to smoke weed if you wanted to. Sure. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Just like I'm a, a white heterosexual male. I support people's right to be whatever they want to be as long Absolutely. as it doesn't infringe on my civil liberties. Sure. The struggle that I have of something we talked about though with the way this sort of political correctness has been developing is you always need savages though i think you always need people that the other nations could be afraid of you know what i mean because what i think's happening the fear i have is we're worried over so many things that just are definitely first world arguably american issues like pronouns and all these different things sure. which is great um I, i'm open to the discourse but these other nations see this and they're like, those people can't even figure out what gender they are. And these are old school savages, some of these folks, mm -hmm. you know, like Russia and China, both. And so I don't think they, I, and regardless of what you think about Trump, one thing I think, I'm torn, I don't know that Putin would have invaded the Ukraine if Trump was still president, mm -hmm. because he was a loose cannon. I don't think Putin, Putin didn't know for sure what he would have done. And Biden's, you know, it is what it is on what he will or won't do. I just feel like we're lacking some respect in the international forum because we lack. I think they're they're taking us for granted. There are savages, you know. Like think about we've talked about this. Is if say somebody tried to invade the United States, right? You're going to have these major metropolitan areas. They'll be infighting and whatnot. But you start getting out in the country, man. Them rednecks and gangbangers will band together, and everybody's yep. got multiple guns. It ain't yep. an easy win. Uh, it's like Red Dawn all over again. But what I was getting at was. I think we, I don't like how we're so negative on 
savages. You know what I mean? Like traditional masculine figures. I don't think there's a problem with that. I think we when, need those. When the crap hits the fan, they're the first ones you turn to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I tell you, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I am a big fan of let someone think that the boogeyman is out there because if the boogeyman's out there, you're not going to mess with that group of people. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that the United States uh, needs that. And I will tell you, I'm confident that there are still people who scare the daylights out of other people and other bad folks in other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we still have those people. Um, and, you know, we don't always talk about them. Uh, but the, there is... Uh, people, you know, fighting forces for the United States that do scare the bad folks mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. Maybe not, you know, maybe not on the front page uh, of the newspaper, but we do have some amazing Americans who do still scare the daylights out of other oh, and people. Oh, and I believe that. I, I guess my point is it's it's the the political current today, especially with media, is that it's negative to support or even promote that type of mentality. You're right. And I'm not talking about somebody who's sexist. I'm not talking about nope. somebody. I'm talking about if a person that if if you mess with them and what they love, there's going to be penalties. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's funny when you talk about, uh, you know, should someone try to invade the United States, uh, what cities would they get and how quickly? Uh, and then when they started working their way across the United States, uh, and they hit certain, you know, states with militias, and and you you're, you're right, the good old boys, uh, and any and, and, and not to promote violence, but you know there are some folks here who will, who will defend their territory. Oh yeah. Uh, and and uh, you won't be very happy when you try and evade them, <clears throat> and uh, and, which is why I think that you know no one would ever be dumb enough to invade our country. Well, I think that, but also politically. You know, China owns so much debt, United States debt. They also own a lot of land. Russia, same way. They're all interwoven, all mm-hmm. these major players. And so I think a lot of it's politics on whether they'll posture that they're going to have a war. But it doesn't really benefit any of them to really destroy the other one. Nope. So I don't know that that's a long-term uh, concern. I just think that, you know, th- the ones that we're, that I'm more concerned with are the non-state actors that just don't care. Yep. Those are the ones that uh, I don't want to say I'm afraid of, but I'm afraid for what they would do. Sure. Um, because they don't care either way. They just want to cause terror and havoc. And those are the ones that, to me, need to know um, that there are there are still men and women that they need to be concerned about. You know what I mean? And when they see us arguing over certain political topics, this makes me they, they you know they don't respect that at all. You know, I agree. Uh, you know, but I tell you, there there are there are when when those terrorist groups or those un, unsavory people who are walking around the United States who are trying to do harm to us. Uh, very often get thwarted. Uh, you will never hear about it in the news. You, yeah. you won't see it on TV. I can see that. Um, part of me uh, sometimes thinks, well, you know what? Maybe if we, we did put that on television. Hey, these people tried to do this and we stopped them. And, and this is what we did to those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, deterrence is an amazing uh, tool. Uh, it helped us defeat the Soviet Union. Uh, sometimes I think uh, deterrence uh, of taking someone to the town square uh, and, and showing what happens when you're trying to do harm to us I think there's some some benefit to that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that I, strength deters others from trying to do something stupid as well. Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to say we don't need to have these other conversations about these political issues, but I just think that it shouldn't be shunned to have conversations about those kind of things. Absolutely. It, it, you know, I feel like I told my boys this is I have three sons, and and 
there were times when you would see social media and media, just uh, traditional media posts, that it's like it's this negative to be a white male heterosexual, you know, like that this is a shun thing. And it is what it is. You are, and there's nothing wrong with being that way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just like there's nothing wrong if you're not. But it shouldn't be a sign of, oh, we can't talk about them because you're born that way. And then it's also pro, um, nothing wrong with being a traditional masculine guy, you know? Like, I mean, and I say that being the guy that wears gold Speedos, you know what I mean? That's right. (laughs) But I don't know that anybody doubts the masculinity side because I'm very comfortable with myself. Of course, I am 44, you know, and I don't know, maybe it's confusing when they're younger, but... Anyway, uh, it's a whole other conversation, but uh, uh, yeah, I just think it's okay to be a savage, and we need savages, and we shouldn't shun them. Uh, not everybody needs to be one, but it's important the rest of the world knows they're still here. And and hopefully they do realize that, and mm-hmm. if not, then they find out the hard way. Well, speaking of deterrence, so something else I wanted to ask you about, and you may or may not be able to speak on it, I don't know, but the Navy itself, the fleet, right? Mm-hmm. I know for years— we had the largest Navy. Mm-hmm. And recently, I was talking to Alex about this some, because um, I think China, I know China's churning out, and I don't know what quality ships they are, but mm-hmm. I know they're churning out. Uh, I want to say they're getting some aircraft carriers too. So there's two questions I had. Number one is, do you know fleet size or fleet strength wise, how our U.S. A Navy, naval force still compares? And then the second question was, you know, used to the aircraft carrier was a very dominant force mm-hmm. in uh, force mul- multiplier in the the world stage, and I just wonder now if it still is because of countermeasures. Yeah. So first question, uh, easily yes, uh, still the strongest navy on the planet, um, having uh, eleven aircraft carriers uh, that have the ability to park outside of your country uh, with a wing of fighter jets uh, that could decimate a country in hours. Uh, makes us the strongest nation on the planet. Mm. Uh, there is no equivalent to an aircraft carrier pulling up off your coast uh, to give you the cold sweats at night. If you don't believe me, ask the folks in Libya, <laughs> ask the folks in Afghanistan, ask the folks in Iraq. Uh, you know, there, throughout our history, the aircraft carrier has shown time and time again that it is the most dominant naval f- uh, vessel on the planet. Uh, we have other uh, vessels now. We have destroyers. We have cruisers. Uh, we have littoral combat ships that all complement the aircraft carrier. Uh, we have submarines uh, that run silent and can disappear one day and pop up in the weirdest places. Uh, the Navy uh, had a press release last week that uh, we popped up a, uh, a uh, Ohio-class submarine in the middle of the Persian Gulf this week, unannounced, uh, just to remind our friends over there that, hey, be careful what you do because we're watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the, is the aircraft carrier still the most dominant uh, vessel in the on the planet? Absolutely, uh, and and we are still the strongest navy in the world because of our dominance uh, above sea, on the sea, and under sea. Uh, our submarines are the most deadliest on the planet. Again, all of our ships uh, are, are are most incredible levels of technology on them, and our pi- fighter pilots are the best on the planet, second to none. Uh, with our with our uh, our generation fighters that we have now, um, you just can't compete with us. Did I talk to you after I did the? It was the day cruise. It wasn't a tiger cruise. Did I talk to you about that? We did talk about that a little Man. bit. So look, it takes a lot to impress me. It really does because you know in law enforcement I got to see a lot of stuff. We use different weaponry and whatnot. Uh, now obviously I never did the military, but um, I'm just not easily impressed by things. 
that was impressive. Oh, sure. They took the aircraft carrier out, and, I mean, that alone is is a big deal because, you know, you look around, you see things, very impressive. It's huge, uh, giant, with, with, with multiple aircraft on it, mm-hmm. all types. But then they took us out, and uh, when we were out there in the middle of the, the ocean, they had – you could look around the thing and there's like, I don't know if they're cruisers or destroyers, but there's multiple ships around it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure there were some subs going to, they had black Hawks going around it. I mean, it's literally a rolling demolition force, you know? And then what was most impressive is the, the, the sea was not calm. So you could see the, the back of that carrier tilting and listing side to side. And we were on the flight deck, which is a liability issue, but nobody cared because they had all of the parents. That's what I was thinking as a lawyer. All of us were up there as close, almost as close as that door is. Did uh, you sign a waiver? Before no, you? there's no waiver or nothing. But but okay. you can't sue the federal government unless they tell you it's okay to sue them. So nobody cared, right? What are you going to do? So we're all up there, and these these jets would come in and look like a freaking raptor, just like and adjusting to the list of the ocean. Mm-hmm. That big cable catches it, which mm-hmm. all that needed to do was snapping. You know, our legs are gone. But anyway, you could feel the force, the, the power of those mm-hmm. engines. And then that thing would back up, and with no runway... Just takes off a moving ship mm-hmm. and then does it again and comes back and lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very impressed by that. Yeah, and I don't know anything. You know, my partner was a pilot. He was Air Force. You know, so you, and when I come back, you know, he likes to brag about how great they're pilots. And I was like, look, man, I think that was the ba- ba- most impressive I've ever seen of any pilot. And not knocking the Air Force, but that was impressive. You know, the Air Force is fantastic, and they're a great group of uh, men and women. But they can't land an uh, aircraft in the middle of a in the middle of the night on a small strip of runway yeah. floating in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I tell you. So if you're curious on how all that works, uh, kids, go ahead and pay attention to physics in school. Uh, if you ever want to learn how to take uh, jets off of a a small strip of uh, concrete floating in the middle of the ocean, it's incredible. Those pilots are amazing, and and the training they go through uh, to get where they are. Uh, people don't understand that. You know, a lot of our men and women, when they join the Navy, uh, some of them join the Navy and are about in the, out in a ship six months later. Some of people go to school for two or three years mm. before they even see the fleet. Uh, again, our, our pilots are incredible men and women. Uh, and, and that's something else to you know talk about is uh, look at our military versus others. Uh, look at the great strides we've made in the last 25, 30 years, uh, women in, in, in combat, uh, women pilots. Uh, we have women commanding officers. We just had a a, women, a woman uh, was announced as the chief of naval operations at Admiral Franchetti and and on the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, a lot of countries don't have women in their military. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, gays in the military being openly homosexual in the military. Um, Thirty years ago, when I joined the Navy, oh nope, no way that's going to happen, and, and it did. Uh, roll back 50 years before when it was if you were African-American, you were only allowed to have food service jobs or stewards. Uh, we as a country uh, provide the opportunity for everyone to succeed. And our Navy and our military has done the same thing. Uh, men, women from every race, color, creed and background have the opportunity to succeed in our military at every level. Uh, there's no there's no glass ceilings for people anymore. People can can excel no matter who they are and what they believe in. Uh, can excel in our military. That's what makes our military so great is the diversity of thought, the diversity of just people as a whole uh, coming in. Uh, you know, good luck China and Russia competing with that. You know, if you think outside the box of the chi- in, in China, uh, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. 
Uh, same thing in Russia. If you have a descending thought to your leadership, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Here uh, in, in our military, we encourage uh, people to speak up if they have a concern. Um, good luck doing that anywhere else. That kind of level of commitment we have to people up and down the chain of command is what makes us probably and easily, in my opinion, the best military in the world. Technology aside, it's the people. You can have the greatest weapons in the world, but if you don't have people who trust you, who are willing to to go into that firefight for you, then it doesn't matter what tools you have. Well, I think a volunteer service is different, too. You know what I mean? Like Russia and uh, China, uh, they think they still have mandatory military service. That's different when you're forced to versus volunteered to do it. Absolutely. And uh, I think you're right. I think the, the melting pot in general has been better for the United States because that's kind of the whole basis of our nation is, uh, you know, bring your tired, your weary, uh, your troubled masses or whatever it was. So, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think you're right. I think we underestimate. We, we focus so much on the technology. I think we forget the value of the people that are Absolutely. running it. Uh, so. You know, look at it when uh, the USS Cole was bombed. Uh, you know, the men and women saved that ship from sinking pierside in uh, Yemen. Uh, you know, there was obviously the tools they used for it, but it was the men and women who saved that ship. Um, that is a testament to the men and women we have in our military today who go to all ends of the earth to, to save themselves, save others. Um, it's a no-brainer to me. So last question, I guess, sure. then, since we're tying that up. Uh, you didn't have to retire. So why the retire? Because you, you seem super gung-ho on it. I, I, you know, it's funny. I absolutely loved uh, my 34 years in the military. I love helping people. Uh, I loved uh, solving complex problems. To me, there is no greater joy, uh, except for one thing. I love my wife and my daughter just a little bit more. Uh, we had opportunities to stay. Uh, I could have competed for other uh, positions in the Navy, uh, but it was my time to go. Um, you know, there's a point in where everybody has to go home uh, and let someone else come up and, and be confident in the folks that you've trained, the folks that you mentor, so they can come along and do great things. Maybe not my way, but maybe in some part, some way I helped train them that became their way. Uh, so it was kind of a no-brainer. My wife and I talked about it, um, and we decided, yeah, we're done moving around the world. It, it's, uh, you know, after you've done it for 34 years, there's not many new surprises in the world. Uh, and I'm very happy with it. With it. Um, you know, I, I, was, I, I was a little nervous at first. It's like, oh, you know, how am I going to adjust to life not being in the Navy? Uh, my last year or two, I tried to stop associating my, my name with the military when I introduced myself to folks a lot of the times. Uh, I would just tell people, when they, hey, how are you, Master Chief? Oh, it's just Chris. Um, you know, I, I was listening to a TED Talk, uh, and he talked about Styrofoam Cup, where uh, a CEO of a company uh, one year went to this conference and was given this beautiful ceramic cup of coffee, and he walked in. Uh, after a first-class flight, and a, a limo picked him up at the airport, took him to his five-star hotel. Uh, he retires the next year. He comes, and he has to book his own travel, and he's staying at a budget hotel. Uh, he takes a, a cab over to the same exact conference, and he comes in and says, hey, can I get a cup of coffee? And the guy goes, yeah, there's a styrofoam cup over there. And what he realized was that, star, that ceramic cup the year before wasn't for him. It was for his position. It was for his title. And that really resonated with me that, you know, no matter where we go, no matter where we are, if it's military or civilian, uh, our titles are all kind of transitory. Um, the military was around before me, and it's going to be around a long time after me. 
Um, and so if you, if you hold on to, well, I, I, you know, I'm a master chief in the Navy and I'm very proud of my time in the Navy and what I've done, but it was, it was easy for me to accept that it was time to go, uh, and let other people have that opportunity. I was thrilled and got the chance to do and, and see and some, meet some amazing people during my time, but now it's time for somebody else to do that. Mm-hmm. And I take a lot of joy in seeing my peers and the men and women who I help train now doing those great things. There's a lot of pride in that for me. Uh, you know, you can kind of live vicariously through them. And you see them doing all these cool things that you've done or even hopefully even better things. And, and you, you hope for the folks that you trained to, to surpass you by a mile uh, to do great things. I can imagine when you're training someone, uh, you hope that one day that your students will become you know, masters or, or even better than you uh, because of the pride you can take in that you help develop that talent. And that's how I feel when I see folks today. That, that's a really interesting perspective uh, on the, the Styrofoam cup thing. And I think that I can personally grow and use from that because I have struggled. I've had phases like most people in mm-hmm. life on things that I've done. And I struggle with the letting go of, I, I like to think that I don't like the uh, accolades, but I'm human. Mm-hmm. And I think part of me really does. And I'm trying to get better at not having that be what defines me. So that's a really good observation. I've never thought of it that way. So uh, I, I enjoyed having you very much. This and was I hate fantastic. to tie it up, but uh, I have an appointment coming in in a minute, so we'll do that. I, oh, I did want to ask you, though. Josh had one question earlier sure. when I told him you were a master chief. <laughs> what were you going to ask him, Josh? <laughs> it's, it was a stupid joke. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> No, it was, uh, I was basically making a reference to the fact that the Halo character's name is Master Chief. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so there is a number of folks who have made that joke, so you're not the first. It's, I, I figured it's an old corny joke. It, it is, <laughs> yes. I don't have the helmet uh, or the visor or anything like that. Uh, but yes, I, I'm familiar with the the reference. <laughs> that should be your next cosplay. You go as Master Chief. You know, others have done it. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to break any new ground there. But maybe we'll see next year's Comic Con. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Well, uh, I still call you Chief. I respect you a lot, but and, and I respect you as Chris also. So I appreciate you. all you're doing for our community, and I, I'm glad you feel welcome. And you know, if there's anything that uh, me or the whole Kicking Lawyer crew thing can do. For Toker, wherever, I'm glad to help you with whatever you need. Look so, forward to it. Thanks. And thank you guys for watching. As always, like I said, don't forget to like and subscribe. Follow the content. It's not like I'm making uh, tens of dollars doing this, so you can help us out by sharing the content. Uh, we are on TikTok. I do have, um, it's more legal stuff. I always joke about Josh dancing. One of these days, we're going to have you do a dance, Josh. No, that would be good. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you, can dance, you can dance to N.A. The Band's album, Inside My Head, which you can download right now for free wherever you listen to music. Again, it costs nothing. It just helps those guys, gives them some exposure, so please help them out. Uh, Michelle Allen, as I mentioned before, has been a sponsor for our, our podcast forever. She's uh, been on the podcast, and if you're looking to do anything in real estate, she'd be glad to help you out. And then Mason's High Octane Martial Arts has been in Covington for 30 years and now in Millington, Tennessee also. Visit masonsmartialarts.com. Uh, we got some really cool Christmas uh, discounts going on. It's the best gift I ever got for my family was uh, martial arts. And then Jam Books and Records will hope to be open in the next few weeks. We'll see. My wife and I have a couple trips, so I'm not sure we're going to be able logistically to get it built out. But when it's open, it'll be on the Covington Square. You can check us out. And last but not least, Josh is uh, ready to help you at masonitemarketing.com with uh, branding, marketing, et cetera, online stuff. He'll help you out. So just check him out. Thanks as always for watching. I hope you have a good rest of your week. Uh, Keep kicking.
Thanks for watching, guys. Just remember that this is not legal advice or investment advice or business advice. This is for fun and entertainment purposes only.